Welcome to Res Talk, your source for the latest news, opinions, and training from top building performance, rating, and auditing experts. Here's your host, committed building science enthusiast and registered professional engineer, Bill Spohn. I'm not trying to cause a big sensation talking about my generation. I'm just talking about my generation. Talking about my generation. Welcome back, listeners of the Res Talk podcast. We're going to be talking about generational differences here today with Clint Sharman of Knopf Insulation. Clint will be summarizing for us what he's learned about the differences in the generations and how differences impact the work environment, especially in the construction trades. We'll be talking about the differences and definitions of the group and their sizes of the five generations that are actually currently in the workforce now, while also taking note of impacts made by historical, societal, and lately the technological and communications-related changes that affect all generations in different ways. So from baby boomers to helicopter parents to Maslow's theory of the hierarchy of needs, conversation covers a lot of grounds in these topics that relate to hiring, setting expectations in the workplace, both expectations from the employee and the employer, and retaining employees of all generations. Hope you enjoy listening in to Clint talk about hiring the next generation of workers. Good day, Clint. How are you doing? Great, Bill. How are you doing? Pretty good. So, Clint, tell us a little bit about where you work right now. What's your role? What's your job? What's your position? I work for Knopf Insulation, and we make and manufacture fiberglass products. So, bats, rolls, duct liner, blow, pipe insulation, just about any insulation you can imagine as long as it pertains to glass. And I am currently the manager of training, but my position has an outward focus with our contractor base. So currently I go out into the field and I work with builders and installation contractors on home performance and installation and best practices. How long have you been doing this, Clint? I'm closing in on year number six here. Have you worked in the construction type industry for a long time? I had, well, Six years at least. And then another couple before that, when I got out of college, I worked doing residential remodels, whole house remodels. So we'll be talking about hiring the next generation of workers here through the episode today. And and I think a lot of people are interested in generations because different generations have different outlooks, different expectations, both on the hiring employee and the employer side. So you recently gave a presentation at a ResNet conference about hiring the next generations of workers, and you compiled a lot of really interesting slides. But just give us sort of like a quick overview of the data. Like, how do you define the generations and how old are they now and sort of how many of them are there? Well, there's a lot of discrepancy within that because starting points and ending points for generations. If you look up any statistic, there's going to be some gray areas in those years when they start and end. But a generation is essentially a group of people who have a common location and spot in history. And because of that, they're going to have shared beliefs and values and behaviors. And this is, broadly speaking, there's always outliers, but they'll experience and have similar technological and communication advances and experience the same changes in uh, child rearing and parenting. One, I think, major impact that is, uh, of course, having a disruption in this, as it is everything else, is technology. And as I'm curious to see in the next generation or two how 
technology continues to increase more and more and faster, if we'll start to see a smaller window of generations because that technology that you grow up with, I guess, changes so quickly. Absolutely. But the breakdown is, and I use just kind of round numbers to try to keep things simple, but we have what's called the greatest generation or the GI generation is 1900 to 1924. And I believe the latest numbers that I've seen, there's still around three and a half to four million of those folks around. Silent generation comes after who's 1925 to 44. And then uh, of course the baby boomers, 1945 to 64. Generation X, 65 to 80. My generation, Generation Y or the millennials, 1981 to 2000. And then Generation Z, who's coming into the workforce now, just entering is from the year 2000 until who knows. Some numbers say five years ago. Some numbers say we're going to get another five years. So so we're like 2014 or, or plus. Yeah. So the number of people that are, are currently at work in those generations, how does that sort of break down? Well, it's, what's interesting is that the baby boom generation has always been hailed as the largest, most people of any living people group. And they certainly were for a long time, but they've actually been displaced by millennials because millennials are children of late boomers and Gen Xers. And so they're collectively are a lot of those generations and they've made more millennials. So the breakdown at work now is there's actually still, I believe, around two or three percent of the silent generation still at work. And then baby boomers make up about a quarter of the working population. Generation X hovers around 30 percent, 30 or 32 percent, somewhere in there. And then millennials are making up around 35 to 40 percent. And projections that I've seen fairly recently are saying that that number will be hovering around 50% by the end of next year, 2020. And that's probably due to retirement of the boomers and the shift in opportunity. It is that. And then uh, one thing that I hadn't considered when I was putting this presentation together is that there's still immigration happening and it tends to happen earlier in life, you immigrate to different countries. So there's still some millennials that are immigrating in and creating a even larger millennial population. When it comes to uh, defining things, like we were having a conversation before we started, we talked about entrepreneurship, which is sort of a, as a term with a definition, but the definition may morph in different people's minds. And I think this is this impacts the way workers sort of come to work and their expectations. Has there been a shift in the definition of entrepreneurism? There has been. And so growing up and in, in business classes and things that I took in high school and college, entrepreneurship was striking out on your own, starting your own company or nonprofit, and trying to make it for yourself. But what I've been reading and seeing in the last year or two is that entrepreneurship is starting to shift. And when you are polling younger employees and students now about what entrepreneurship is, it is more owning the work that you do. And that oftentimes coincides with, like for me, working inside of Knopf, I can be an entrepreneur and going out into the field and trying to create my own opportunities there. So it's not necessarily this brave venture going out on your own anymore and a big risk. It's owning your own business within a business, if that makes sense. Yeah, I've heard of that called intrapreneurship. So it's internal that makes sense. When it comes to 
looking at hiring the next generation of workers. And I guess you would say that's sort of the millennials are already in place, right? So it's really the Gen Z we're talking about when you say next generation. For the most part. I mean, there are still the youngest millennials are, I mean, it depends whose standard you look at, but for the most part, the youngest millennials are in college now or exiting college. But Gen Z is, we're on the verge of them entering the job force if they haven't already or starting to enter the job force. But there is, there'll be carryover from one generation to the next. Although overall, in the grand scheme of things, when you see the breakdown, their characteristics might be different, but we're operating within a small set of years and we'll have some carryover. Let's sort of bounce back and forth between sort of two questions for each generation. For a baby boomer, what did they experience and how does that impact the way they sort of come to work? And then go through the other generations like that. Yeah, well, baby boomers kind of had, I guess, a rich childhood. (laughs) They're post-war babies and they grew up in the golden age of capitalism. They were told about the American dream and then many were able to go out and achieve it. And so they, they enter the workforce like a lot of other, like their parents did after the war and after the Industrial Revolution and things like that, or the modern Industrial Revolution there is still a lot of carryover from that. So you put your nose to the grindstone and you get your tenure and you get your benefits and you get your white picket fence, (laughs) so to speak. And then sort of moving on into the Generation X, what changed in their, their experience, their history? Their overall perceptions, I think, were kind of shaped by them having to take care of themselves. Uh, It's the generation of the latchkey kids. So in the late 60s and 70s when they were adolescents, children and adolescents, their parents were in the air quotes me generation and both parents were going to work. Divorce rates were starting to rise a little bit. And so Generation X had to become a little bit more self-sufficient and they didn't have necessarily the same sort of rose-colored glasses that maybe the baby boomers had. They faced the energy crisis in their early years, their formative years, they faced the Cold War. And then they found out politicians lie (laughs) as well. And when they entered the workforce was kind of the first days of downsizing due to technology increases and stuff like that. So a little different upbringing, not as picturesque as maybe the baby boomers were told they could have it. Let's now take the next step to Generation Y. Yeah, a completely different generation with probably the late boomers and Generation X being latchkey kids and taking care of themselves. Millennials and or Gen Y have been kind of overparented, I guess. The term helicopter parent comes to mind and that those types of parents wanted their kids to know that they were loved and taken care of. They didn't come home to an empty house after school for hours at a time. And because of all that, it's kind of blurred the line of uh, traditional authority between kids and adolescents and adults parents, coaches, teachers, and now we're seeing that play out in how they relate to their bosses. They still overall respect authority, but they have a different relationship with it than the previous two generations in the workforce. But now we're starting to see in a generation more and more technology, uh, and everyone has a supercomputer in their pocket. So when they work, they're never truly away. So work-life balance and how work plays into their life starts to matter a little bit more than just putting your head down and working hard to get your benefits, especially when 
this generation came of age in or had entered the workforce in the Great Recession and saw our parents work hard uh, and then get laid off or lose their retirement or some instances die young. So they very much want to enjoy life now while they're working. So it's a lot more about experiences now than saving for a, a long and glorious ride into the sunset and retirement. Yeah, I think that they still want the long and glorious ride off into the sunset, but they want to enjoy the ride. <laughs> right. <laughs> the current ride. The current ride, yeah. And also be in shape to do that. So I'm a baby boomer and you're a millennial, right? Mm-hmm. So how are we getting along here? How can we even have a conversation? <laughs> Well, I've had several conversations, Bill, about how you're the nicest guy in home performance. So it's pretty easy to get along with you. <laughs> well, and I got to say, you're a very respectful person. So, I mean, you noted that just a couple minutes ago about conferring that respect and having respect, but operating differently. And I'm going to tell a little story and see, well, I'm telling my story if you can think of one that relates. But I have uh, employees who are millennials, and I find situations where it's like a, a mistake, an oversight is made. And I look at it and they go, oh my gosh, I'd be so embarrassed. And okay, how do I tell this person? Because they're going to be devastated by this. And, and it's like, okay, here you go. Here's what happened. And they come back and go, hey, thanks for finding that. Which my generation would have been like, just like head and hands, very embarrassed about being detected to make a mistake because this nose to the grindstone kind of thing means you have to do it all on your own, more or less. How does that relate to you? I think a lot of that is first and foremost, probably how that mistake gets brought to the employee's attention. I don't work for you, but I can only assume that you would bring it to their attention in a way that would let them know that they have an opportunity to do better and not that they screwed up right now and it's beyond repair. And so because of that, I think that when you look up management styles and things like that, there's been a lot of talk in the past about coaching employees I think that is coming to fruition more now because of the relationship that millennials and young people have had with their parents and teachers and things like that is that they are looking for coaching. So in doing all this research for the presentation, I really enjoyed it. But I was also, I kept coming back to every generation is the same. <laughs> they have different outside influences and those shared places in history. And of course, technology is a huge influencer, but when they go to work, they all kind of want the same thing. They just go about it differently. And so no one wants to go to work and get their head ripped off for a mistake. They want to go to work. And if they make a mistake, they can learn from it and become better. And then from a management standpoint, I think, how does being genuine or, or showing your foibles, your mistakes, your imperfections, does that help in the communication process? Or Yeah, I think that that is a huge part. And I'm glad you just said communication because that's another part that is lacking from at least what I see specifically in the construction industry. And no company in any industry is safe from poor communication. And being transparent, I think, is part of that open dialogue between manager or boss and employee that needs to happen. And then also there's, you mentioned communication style, but then also mode. Like just simply like with technology, texting, Slack, other types of communication tools that people are using. And I know from one very good friend who runs his contracting business totally on Slack, all the service orders, all the communication for a hundred person company is run through Slack. And if people aren't familiar with that is, if you are, why don't you describe it? 
or I could. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I, I use it, but I, I am not on it very often. So I'll let you tackle that one if you want. It's sort of like uh, business texting where you can set up groups of people and have it all be private information. You can engage other apps to trigger communication. You can send attachments that are video, audio, all types of things. And it's very well-regulated or very well put together. So it's protected, it's secure, and it can be grouped into different groups and topics. So it provides sort of instantaneous, but I would say asynchronous communication. Whereas a lot of people, uh, it's actually interesting, the same business I was talking about, the dad runs a different division of the business and he talks about, well, in my day, you just pick up the phone and you call someone and you meet with them in person. Whereas today it's like sending him a message is okay. How does that impact you, say, at your job where you're working now? We don't have anything necessarily like a Slack here. Uh, I am in a Slack group. The Emerging Leadership Council at ResNet is active in Slack. And so that's my experience with it. But here it's a little bit more standard or what most people would think of as standard for business communication. But it's interesting because two points quickly is that as technology continues to advance, older generations, older employees will you can't ignore it. We found out that technology is here and it's going to keep advancing, which it, I may be young, but I, with technology, I'm somewhat of a dinosaur. But that's something that we should take to heart in the construction industry, which seems to be very slow to change in adopting new technology and things like that. But also with that, picking up the phone and calling someone made me think of there's, I forget which report it was that I was reading that the favored communication for one-on-one or any sort of performance review is face-to-face. And the best way to retain information in any sort of training platform is also face-to-face. And that's actually what I think the statistic that jumps out is 80% of employees prefer is face-to-face communication and face-to-face training. That hasn't changed over generations, although there are many more tools to kind of help communication and help training be implemented. Right. And typically an interview like this might have been done only face-to-face. And now we're using technology to accomplish that interview. But I think the face-to-face part of it, part of it, which I think has impact or importance is the fact that you know you have undivided attention. And that's something which I think comes from that topic of respect, which I think bridges all these different groups, all these different generations is just some kind of respect and understanding. And then just as you mentioned there, the you're not totally into technology, which doesn't mean that you're not part of that generation, but there's a broad spectrum. The definitions are blurred. And I think we're speaking today about a lot of generalities, which have impact on the way you should think about things, but they're not necessarily a recipe for how to handle a generation because it's not going to work that way. Each individual is an individual. That's exactly right. Everyone, there are uh, these generalities and stereotypes for a reason, but you can't apply it to every single person And as an example, I mean, I've got, I fall right in the middle of being a millennial. I can't get out of it. (laughs) The lines don't blur my way, but I have a friend who is an older millennial. So we'll take the 9-11 attacks as an example. He was getting his master's degree when those happened. I was entering middle school and I have got another friend who's a young millennial and he has no actual recollection of the terrorist attacks. So just in one generation, we have three very different upbringings just in time. 
technology aside, uh, everything else aside, just the time that spans in 15 to 20 years is kind of amazing when you break it out like that. And I think there's probably certain things that have to do with workplace humor, the way people treat each other, those type of things. Did that come up at all in your sort of study and preparation for this presentation? Actually, I hate to say it, but I didn't really look into that very much. (laughs) I know that humor has changed. The jokes, the air quotes and appropriate jokes that were once funny aren't so heavily laughed at anymore. But I, I don't know that that's necessarily a generational change or if that is a cultural change. Yeah, like a whole society shift. So um, one of your slides, you talked about the defining a generation and common myths about millennials. And since that that tends to be a topic today, in fact, some people I think actually cringe perhaps when they hear the word millennial, they feel like it's this huge, heavy label that's being put on. But so what are some of the common myths that you've encountered? Or Can I tell a quick story? Yeah, sure. This is all about stories. I think last year, last summer, maybe I was having a conversation with my wife And I mentioned something about being a millennial and she stopped me and she said, you're not a millennial. And I said, no, I am. And she said, no, you're not. And I said, no, we both are. We were born in this year. And so like the start is any time between like 1979 to 1983. And the end is somewhere between 1997 and 2000, we'll say, right? So we're in the middle. We have to be millennials. And she was very upset because of all the negative things that she hears. And every generation of youth is talked down about. I mean, you can find articles and stories for Generation X and Boomers and the GI generation. There's quotes from Socrates where he's talking poorly about how the youth of that day didn't have any respect. But today, there's so many more ways to get that information. (laughs) You can go to Google and type in why millennials suck and get thousands of pages of why we aren't any good at anything. But yeah, so common myths about millennials. We should get back to that. Sure. (laughs) Let's dispel some, please. Yeah. So on that slide, I just had some things that we hear a lot and then kind of the truth behind that. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it's millennial specific. It'll be Generation Z as well. And it probably pertained to Generation X and the boomers also. But First is that they won't do the grunt work. And the millennials or young people in general will do almost anything you ask as long as they know the value of it and how it relates to the mission of the company and that they're making a difference. And then another is that they they want the top job immediately, but we have to remember that immediate gratification is a thing and they come in excited and ready to work and they chose you too. So they don't necessarily want the top job, but they want to come in and start adding value immediately. And then maybe the two biggest are that they want the managers to do the work for them and then they're disloyal. But we've already talked about my generation and Generation Z as well grew up over-supervised and their parents utilize them a lot for their opinions. They still have respect with leadership. They just have a different relationship to it as previous generations. And because of that, they aren't willing to kind of get shoved in a corner and wait for tenure. They, again, want to start having impact now and having their voice be heard. And if that can happen, then they're not necessarily disloyal. They just want to feel valued. And then one last one, and this is kind of my favorite, as I entered the workforce during the Great Recession and lots of unpaid internships and things like that, is that money doesn't matter. 
And of course it does. A lot of us have student loans and now mortgages or car payments or whatever else. And cost of living continues to rise. So money absolutely matters, but it's a threshold issue. Money is what can get me to the door and walk through it. And then everything else that I can get through the work or through the employer is what would keep me in the door. I think another sort of comparison, like when you, maybe this was part of what your wife's reaction was, is some people see someone from a certain generation and then from say a millennial and say, they have an old soul. I think that speaks towards the variety of personalities that can come forth in a generation. And of course, I know people that rear children today, like children were reared in the 60s and 70s, or even the 60s. And it's just very, very different. I think we're not trying to paint with too broad of a brush, but I think your impact here is to to have people take a step back, consider things, uh, think about things differently, and especially when it comes to hiring and retainment. Yeah. Again, so much of what I read and found and researched is that every generation wants the same thing. They're all just different points in their life. So they might view those priorities slightly differently, but having a purpose and doing what they're good at and doing something they enjoy, that's something that it's not just millennial specific, that's Generation X and Boomer and Silent and GI. Let's go over a couple of key points now, some perhaps takeaways. And I'm not sure if you did upload the slides to the ResNet conference website. Do you allow that? I did. I actually, I uploaded my slides and I uploaded my slide notes so you can see the ramblings of someone just trying to keep it together. I will put that for sure. Not the ramblings part, but the uh, fact that in the show notes that I'll try to find those links to your slides, because I think there's a lot of great stuff to sort of pour over individually, but I'm going to draw out some high points for recruitment and then retention, those two topic areas. So for recruitment, you say, I have a website, but then a asterisk, have a good website. So tell me about where that comes from. Yeah. Well, I can't remember if it was a Gallup survey or Deloitte or where it came from, but one of the slides I had was where employees turn for job opportunities. And when they are doing general searches, a company website is number one, followed by employee referral or family suggestion recruiting sites. I actually had never heard of Kanoff Insulation until we were remodeling a house just north of the plant and we drove past it. And so then, of course, that night I looked up Kanoff Insulation and a year later had a job. But having a good website is also crucial. If you're not visible and interesting or user-friendly, you might as well not even exist for these upcoming technologically savvy young adults. So you have to be attractive and visible online and have some sort of compelling messaging about what you do and the services and value that you provide. And then getting into the services and values and communicating, there's three key aspects of culture that express to the employer what the employee is about, and that's vision, mission, and core values. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? So those are a lot of times you'll, whether you go into a lumber yard or, you know, a hiring company or wherever you walk into, you'll see a mission or a vision. And the key thing about that is that you shouldn't create one for the sake of creating one. You can't make a mission and then hang it on your wall and never do anything about it. So your mission is the roadmap of where you want to go. And the vision is where you want your company to be in the future. And then with that, you should operate 
between the two with your own company's core values. And so what's interesting about that is you can create the roadmap of where you want to go and set that goal and then hire people who have similar goals based on the core values you come up to attain that. And that is crucially important, not just for millennials, but young people in general at when they're entering into a, a play, well, any generation, but it's more prevalent in younger generations. They want a purpose and they want to have an impact and they will rank decisions that they make at work based on their core values ahead of company values. So I think that defining your mission, vision, and core values are imperative to new employees. And according to Deloitte, millennials rank personal values and morals highest when they make a decision at work and company values rank fifth. So if you can align your company values with the core values and personal values of the people that you hire, then that takes out a pretty heavy part of managing and coaching. Very interesting. And then let's touch on the, uh, the area of retaining. We talked about retaining and engagement. I think you had some thoughts on that. What I found interesting in reading this, I kept going back to my uh, college psychology courses and thinking how so much of what employees, not just millennials, but all employees and people want, traces back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if you're familiar with that. And so I, of course, looked it up online and there's hundreds of people who have thought about it before me and made the connection between Maslow and work. But for those that aren't familiar, it's a pyramid and the base of it is basic needs. So you've got food, water, and shelter. Uh, and then the next level is psychological needs, which is friends, accomplishment, and self-esteem. And then the tip of the pyramid is self-fulfillment needs, which is a person reaching their potential. And so pay and basic benefits kind of satisfy those basic needs at the bottom of the pyramid. So I get money so I can pay for food and a shelter, clothes, and things like that. But I can realistically get pay anywhere. So everything that you want to do when it comes to retainment kind of comes from that hierarchy of needs from Maslow. What else you offer psychologically and for self-fulfillment to hang on to employees? Very interesting. I think I found that in your slide deck number 16. So anyone taking mental notes here, when I do provide the link to the slides in the show notes, you can take a look at that and learn from what we're talking about here today. We covered really broad ranging. This is a different type of podcast for Res Talk, talking more about psychology and human behavior, uh, generational history. So I got a question. What do you read in your spare time? You seem like you'd be a good reader. When I was in college, I was an education major and focused on history and psychology. So I had a lot of reading and writing to do for school and not much personal reading. I don't maybe read for enjoyment as often as I do. And so it kind of throws people off when I tell them that I read fishing magazines no. <laughs> for enjoyment. It's uh, You get through the whole thing quickly and uh, it's something that I enjoy to do and learn about. For books, I do kind of gravitate towards nonfiction and that is historical biographies and things like that. And then, I don't know, thoughtful books, not anything, I'm not reading Tolstoy or anything like that, but things that kind of make you step back and examine your own life a little bit. Very interesting. Well, I've known you for a few years, Clint, and now I know you much better. <laughs> I think you really, you really shared a lot about yourself and, and your interests here. I uh, really want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. And are there any closing thoughts you'd like to leave for our listeners? Just one more thing here is that 
all employees, not just millennials or X or Z, want the same things out of work. They want value. They want purpose. They want to continually develop themselves. And they want to be recognized for good work. And one thing I think I put in my presentation was the annual review shouldn't be. And the more that you can give positive feedback to employees, check in with them, see how their daily tasks are going, are they accomplishing their goals, the faster you pulse, the better you can manage performance. And with that, when employees' needs are met, they don't just become happier, they become better performers. And that's really crucial for especially our sector of work. Construction tends to have a pretty high turnover rate. And I think part of that might be the way that we view labor is just labor instead of we're not viewing labor as employees who need training and development and feedback. I think for our industry specifically, we have a long road to hoe, so to speak, in trying to change the way that we look at and manage and coach employees. But it's not impossible. And a lot of labor has to work independently. They're not always under a watchful eye, which means part of their values about what they're accomplishing, their hierarchy of needs can come into play with the quality of work that gets done. Absolutely. And you need to, there's a couple of little points like we talked about when you're looking to try to find an employee, if you can line those up, your needs, your values, and your mission, if they align with an employee's needs and values and mission, then that takes, a, like I said, a huge burden off you as a manager or coach to have someone who can fit within the role in your company that you want, making sure that your culture is not there by default. You've hired strategically for it. Right. And if you don't get the response from your workforce like you think you should get, don't stop trying. That's the other words of encouragement I would have. Yeah, absolutely. It's not going to be immediate or necessarily at the same time you do it. So, No, unfortunately, everything involves work. But <laughs> Right. That's why they call it work, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Clint, again, just a wonderful uh, conversation we had here today on Res Talk, And I want to thank you for coming on and sharing your thoughts and your impressions about hiring the next generations of workers. Thank you very much, Bill. It's been fun. Thank you for listening today to this Res Talk podcast where we talked about generational differences in the work environment. To the ResNet community, ResNet is creating this podcast to hear you, to listen to the consumers and the stakeholders in the ResNet ecosystem and engaging with you on different topics. If you like what you heard today and you've not yet subscribed to the podcast, please consider doing so by typing ResTalk into the search bar of the podcast app that you're using. And this way you'll get all the episodes as soon as they launch. You can also continue to listen in your browser by following the links at resnet.us slash professional. Now, if you're a pro in the building market, surf on over to resnet.us slash professional to learn more or just to join the email list. You can also find ResNet on Facebook or Twitter, Twitter handle at R-E-S-N-E-T-U-S. And for today's quote of the day, it's from R.G. Risch. Respect is a two-way street. If you want to get it, you've got to give it. Thank you for listening in to this episode of the Res Talk podcast. We hope you come back again or subscribe or like the podcast in the podcast app in the Apple Store. Thanks a lot, and we'll be back at you with more Res Talk in the near future. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Res Talk podcast. This podcast is hosted by Bill Spohn, produced by Brian Orr, and is a production of ResNet, the Residential Energy Services Network. 
The best way to listen to this podcast is to subscribe on an iPhone using the podcast app or on an Android device by downloading the Stitcher app and searching for ResTalk. If you are willing, a review on iTunes or the podcast app will help others find the show and would be very much appreciated. We look forward to talking again soon on ResTalk.